Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Las Vegas for Cuffs Guess Heaps with myself, Greg Heaps Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast, and we've got a great podcast for you guys. We're going to keep it to two parts. I'm going to be giving you guys a roundup of the news and notes of college basketball in segment number one, as typically on Sundays, we do see it be a little bit more thin, and not that we had a shortage of news and notes, but it's a little bit less than what we see on most days, so I'm just going to round these up in segment number one, and then Segment number two, we're going to have a great chat as Lucas Harkins, who does amazing work over at HXCBB. He was one of the best bracketologists in all of the land this past season as well. If you take a look at Bracket Matrix, he always gets a really good score on his bracketology. He is going to be joining me. He does a great job of following the Butler Bulldogs, so we're going to ask on that front what to expect out of them for this upcoming season. On top of that, I'm going to get his thoughts on all of the hoopla that we've seen in the Big East this offseason. No doubt about it, there's been a lot of coaching moves. Kim English over at Providence. We've seen Ed Cooley head on over to Georgetown. Slick Rick Patino is back in the Big East with St. John. So we've got a lot to talk about there with him. And if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaden underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters DM. They mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but something else I will be talking with Lucas about is the fact that we do have quite a few former four- and five-star recruits currently in the transfer portal. Some of the intrigue there as well. So we do have a great show on tap, but something that we didn't talk about is some of these guys are going from the non-D1 level to the D1 level. So let's start there with a guy that is going to be making that leap as over at the D2 level, Quinn Dent. Kerr was able to give you about 14.5 points per game this last season at D2 San Marcos, and 
He's decided that he is going to be going to the D1 level and he is going to be going to Idaho. And we've seen Idaho do a really good job at the non-D1 level and the junior college level. They lose a guy in Isaac Jones who had come up from the junior college level, was able to average 19 plus points per game last season. And I do think that Denkert can be the next of one of these guys that does ascend a little bit. He was able to register about 14.5 points per game this last season. His facilitation was good, about 3.5 assists, steal per contest, shot 40% from three-point range. I think that Ido has found a little bit of a niche there, being able to find some of these guys with quite a bit of upside. Something else that we've seen quite a bit of this offseason as well is some of these big men deciding to go down a little bit of a level. We saw it with Johan Treore, who was a former five-star guy of Auburn, and now we're seeing Daniel Bacho decide that he is going down to more of the mid-major ranks as he was at Texas Tech this last year, and Daniel Bacho has decided that he is going to be playing at Tennessee Tech. We all remember big, sexy Kenny Lofton two years ago and what he was able to do. I'm very excited to see what Bacho can do. He had six foot eleven last season at Texas Tech, made 16 starts, was a little bit banged up, but he was able to supply the team with 7.9 points, a block and a half, six rebounds per game in the Big 12. Now he's going down to Louisiana Tech, which they're a part of the conference realignment ordeal as well as Conference USA and the Sun Belt. Man, those are two conferences that have been completely flipped on their head, but I take a look at a guy like Daniel Pacho, and I think that he could be in for having a very big, dominant year. So I'm very excited to see what is going to be happening there. Youngstown State had themselves a nice day on Sunday as well as the Penguins. They were one of the top teams on the Rising League this last season, and they get DJ Burns from Murray State along with Brett Thompson from Tennessee Tech. Now, with Thompson, he is going to be playing in the backcourt, and he was legitimately a top-notch scorer last season. Shot 41.7% from three-point range, 12.5 points, three boards, three assists, and a steal per contest. I'd like to see him play a little bit more defense. Youngstown State last year they had a tough time defending, and for Tennessee Tech in general, they did not play a lot of defense, but I do think that he is going to be able to step in, and he is going to be able to make a nice impact on them for DJ Burns. He was a six foot seven player down low for Murray State that was able to start each of the last two years and was their top rebounder this last season. 8.7 points, 6.6 boards. Not a guy that's going to give you a whole bunch of block shots or anything like that, but is very good on the glass. Something that Youngstown State did last season as well is that they were able to find someone that was very similar to DJ Burns and turn him into a very versatile player in Adrian Nelson, who had come over from Northern Kentucky. He was really not a guy that had shot threes prior to last season. I'm wondering if DJ Burns is the latest of those guys to perhaps be able to do so. Alabama has been very active in the transfer portal. They had gotten Aaron Estrada when I came on this podcast yesterday. It appears as though they're looking to build a lot of depth. I don't know if this guy is going to be playing Mondo minutes or anything like that, but I think they showed in the Big West that he can hang in the SEC, be able to give the team a few minutes. Latrell Wrightsell, he was at Cal State Fullerton this last season, put up nice numbers, 16.3 points per contest, steal and a half, two and a half assists per contest, four and a half boards, shot 38.3% from three-point range. He is heading on over to Alabama, like I said with Aaron Estrada, which he was trying to go up to the power conference level a few years ago at Oregon, only average about three and a half points per game there. I do have my question marks with how he's going to be able to handle that jump, but I do think that he is going to be, at the very minimum, going to be a relatively okay player. He'll probably be a nice rotational piece for an Alabama team that they play super-duper up-tempo, so they're going to need some bodies, and I think that he could be one of them for this bunch. And while Cal State Fullerton is losing right cell, they are going to be adding Donovan O'Day. O'Day last season was playing over at McNeese, and I was at McNeese State, he was able to see right around five points per contest. Not quite the same player as Rachel Wrightsell as 
He's a six foot three guard that shot less than 30% from three point range, so a little bit of a project piece, but they do have a body that is going to be taking over from, so as you can tell, a little bit of a fall off there. Briggs McLean, he was the top scorer at Hartford last season, and I mean, just a rough state of affairs for Hartford. They had to play as an independent last year. They're now down at the D3 level, so we're not going to have to worry about evaluating them this season, but he has decided that he is going to be going to Manhattan, a Manhattan program that, as we know, they had their turmoil last year as well, but Hartford's coach from two years ago, he is now the new man at Manhattan and John Gallagher, so good to see John Gallagher looking out for one of his guys, and McLean on a very sorry Hartford team this last season, he was able to put up numbers, 14.5 points per contest, he had the green light to shoot, was able to shoot about 35% from three-point range, he showed through very well, just continued to fight in what was a very, very sad and desperate situation. So I do give him credit for being able to stick it out, and now he's going to be rewarded and is still going to be playing some D1 college basketball. So that is something that you do like to see. Freddie Hicks was the top scorer at Tarleton State this last season, and he decided that he is going to be going to Arkansas State. Arkansas State was not the same without no Chad Omier this past season. And Freddie Hicks, he is not going to be no Chad Omier. He is able to give you a few rebounds this last season, six boards per contest, while being able to put up those 16.2 points, 1.3 seals, 2.3 assists for a contest. But he is heading on over to Arkansas State, shot 34% from three out in the whack. I do think that he is actually going to be able to make a nice impact for this team. And I think that's exactly what Arkansas State needed. It was a rough year for them last season, but being able to get someone like that, I think could turn around the fortunes for them. Tyshawn Claude, he has decided that he is going from Western Carolina, and he is going to be adding on over to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has really lacked any sort of low post play in recent seasons. Javon Franklin was okay for them last season, but being able to get someone like Claude in, I think it's big. He had good numbers at Western Carolina this last year. He was able to supply the team with 15.4 points, right around 8.6 rebounds per contest. Someone that was able to also give you a block per contest. Not going to go out there, shoot a bunch of threes or anything like that. But Georgia Tech just needed rebounding in the worst way humanly possible. I do like that they bring in Damon Sotomayor in the offseason as well because... I mean, Josh Passer just couldn't bring in guys, so it does appear as though there is some upside here with Georgia Tech, and I do like the move. We did see a few guys decide that they are going to be entering into the NBA draft. Arthur Kaluma, I saw this just after I did the interview with Lucas Harkins. He has decided that he is going to be declaring for the NBA draft. I am pretty sure that he's going to be maintaining his eligibility, but we shall see there for Kaluma. Spent two years at Creighton and had a nice year this last year. I don't know if he necessarily translates to the NBA when I have seen him, but he's been able to do a solid job being able to give the team right around 12 points per contest. He's an okay three-point shooter. Not a guy that is going to be going into flamethrower mode or anything like that, but you know what? Was able to have some relatively solid results, so we shall be seeing what his prospects are going to be. Kobe Brown, six foot eight, Mr. Do-It-All over at Missouri. He has decided that he is going to be entering into the NBA draft, was legitimately the only guy for Missouri this last season, and was able to pull in more than five rebounds per contest. I am very fascinated to see the feedback that he is going to be getting because he is going to be maintaining his eligibility, and he had a tremendous year last year. Six and a half boards, two and a half assists, 15.8 points, seal and a half per contest, along with a partridge and a pear tree. You also did see one decision of note in that this guy is not going to be declaring for the NBA draft, and that'd be Dylan DeSue. And 
The reason why that's of significance is that he really came on towards back half of the season. He didn't necessarily have the world's biggest numbers last season overall. As he had eight and a half points, four and a half boards, at six foot nine was able to pop some threes, which is nice. But you wouldn't attribute that as being a big time get. But you take a look at what he was able to do towards back half of the season from February 25th until he played just the two minutes in that game on the 24th. Fair to say, we're going to throw that away. So final eight games prior to that two minute appearance, he was just really coming into his own for Texas. 16.5 points, a block, 1.3 steals, 7.5 rebounds per game. Him returning to Texas, that's pretty massive. Joe Petrakis, he's got a little bit of upside as well and is someone that I believe began his career at Western Carolina as well as he was playing this last season over at Illinois State and he has decided that he is going to be heading on over to Western Illinois and Western Illinois I think that they're getting a relatively solid player as last season just was not a good fit in general for Joe Petrakis registering 1.9 points per contest at Illinois State they could look at Western Carolina two seasons ago he was able to give the team eight points shot 34.5 percent from three as a six foot nine little bit of stretch player has never really been a good rebounder but Western Illinois typically does not have guys six foot nine or taller that are able to give them any boards whatsoever. So if he's able to improve that just even the slightest bit, I think that that is going to be massive for them. Dayton is going to need a little bit more defense out of this man, but I think that they've got a relatively good fit in terms of just his overall skill set. Isaac Jack, he was playing at Buffalo last season, and he decided that he is going to be going to Dayton. He was a part-time starter last season for the Buffalo Bulls, was able to give the team five and a half points. 4.2 4.2 rebounds per contest, but at 6 foot 11, 250 pounds, he can be a little bit more of a depth piece down low for this team. And you did notice that he was able to get more and more minutes as the season went along. If you take a look from essentially December 10th on, so you take out the first month of the season when he was just completely glued to the bench, he started 20 out of the team's last 23 games. He was able to give the team six and a half points, five rebounds per contest. Not a guy that's going to come in and be like some massive contributor for Dayton. Dayton is probably going to be losing a little bit from what they had down low last season. So being able to add someone that could give you 10 minutes, five fouls, give you a few rebounds, I think that that's going to be beneficial for them. Eastern Illinois just needed anything whatsoever, and getting someone like a Cooper Jacoby I think is good for them. He was playing for the Toledo Rockets during the 2021-22 season. Missed all of last season due to just general off-the-court issues along with injury. 6'6 combo player that two seasons ago was able to register about 2.5 points, 2.5 rebounds per contest. He does need to work on his 3-point shooting, but someone that did have a little bit of fanfare coming out of high school. Three-star prospect by most of these recruiting sites. He was a uh, guy from the state of Indiana, if I remember correctly. So I do think that this is going to be a nice fit for them. And then we are noticing a lot of guys that they just weren't getting minutes at a little bit of a higher level. They're going downward like we are seeing with Fred's Paulus Begatikas. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly, but he was over at Georgia Tech. This last season was trying to get out there on the floor, just was not able to get a whole bunch of minutes, but he has decided that he is going to be moving over to UT Arlington. This past season was only able to see right around like three minutes per contest. Someone that comes in as a six foot eight, a little bit of a sharpshooter from Latvia. So this is a little bit of a project that UT Arlington is taking, but for UT Arlington, it's in my opinion, very much worth the risk bringing in someone like this. And if they're able to strike gold with them, that's absolutely tremendous for UT Arlington. They just, needed any sort of offense that they could get. They were one of the slowest teams at all of college basketball. They really weren't able to knock down threes. So, you know what? Low risk, high reward sort of guy. These are the sorts of moves that you need to make if you're a school like a UT Arlington. And I salute them for that. 
Ryan Langboard has decided that he is going to be going from Princeton and he is going to be going to Northwestern. So he's going from one market school to another. Was a big part of why Princeton was able to make the Sweet 16 this last season. 12.5 points per contest. You did see his three-point shooting fall off a little bit. He shot a little bit north of 40% from three-point range two seasons ago. In this past year, shot 33% from three-point range, but he saved really his best for last. You take a look at things from Valentine's Day on. So final eight starts that he was able to make, he gave the team 16 points, a steal, two and a half assists per contest. Northwestern, they are losing quite a bit of their backcourt. I believe that Chase Odige is not going to be back at the fold with this team. So that is going to be a little bit of a killer for them. They had so many fifth-year guys that they need to replace. And bringing in someone like a Brian Langbord that does a good job of being able to take care of the ball is from a little bit of a slower system. I think that this is going to be an impeccable fit for them. Javon Small, he was able to play big when he was out there on the floor for East Carolina. Was limited only about half the season. He went out second half of the season just due to injury, but in the 18 games that he played for East Carolina was Mr. Do-It-All for them. Now, he did have three and a half turnovers per game, but 15.8 points, five and a half assists, 1.2 steals per contest, shot in the mid-30s from three-point range. He decided that he is going to be going to Oklahoma State, and this is a good fit for Oklahoma State. Reminds me a little bit of them picking up John Michael Wright from last season. John Michael Wright was at a little bit of a lower level at high point, but he was a similar player in that he was on a bad team, but had to do it all, was able to put up some very nice numbers, and then became a good ancillary piece for Oklahoma State when he was able to register. Right around 10 points per contest, was able to knock down a few threes. We shall see if Oklahoma State is going to be adding a little bit more, as it's been a relatively quiet offseason for them thus far, but I think that this is a good first step for them as the Big 12, and it's going to be very fearsome once again. The swag is starting to look a little bit more fearsome with Jay Sean Ruffin heading on over to Jackson State. That makes them very formidable, and Texas Southern team that's been able to make the NCAA tournament, I believe now four out of the last six seasons. They bring in some from UTSA, meet me from the Roadrunners to fortify themselves. As Texas Southern bringing in Josh Farmer. Farmer last season at UTSA put up some okay numbers, a little bit over five points, 3.1 boards per contest, capable of shooting threes at six foot nine, shot about 28% from three-point range. That has always been an issue with our good friends over there at Texas Southern. They just have never really been a great three-point shooting team, but they're always a team that they hang their head on being able to pull in their rebounds, being a little bit more tough and tumble than most teams. And this team has been typically very active in the transfer portal. And this is the first of a few moves that they have made. Jonathan Cisse, he was the top scorer at Incarnate Word, is coming in. They pick up someone, and Kenny Hunter was a nice little post player for Louisiana Tech as well. I like what Texas Southern has been able to do here in the offseason. They and Jackson State looking like two of the better teams in that conference. We shall see if... Bethune-Cookman is able to keep their backcourt because I do think that there's some room for them to grow as well. Keith Heyman, he was playing at Northern Arizona this last season. He has decided that he is going to be adding on over to Lindenwood, and I do think that this is a good addition for them. Heyman, he just fell out of favor this last year at Northern Arizona, 3.8 points per contest, wasn't able to do a whole heck of a lot, though he still shot about 37% from three-point range, but season before, 2021-22 season, was a starter at Northern Arizona, 9.8 points, right around three and a half boards, shot 36% from three while taking nearly six threes per contest, being able to bring in that sort of a shooter for a Lindenwood team that they really didn't have a lot of explosive players. They are going to need a little bit more size. He's got good size for a guy that's able to shoot like that at six foot seven. This is a good addition for them. Lindenwood, they're in year number one at the D1 level. I think that year number two, they could take some tries forward with a guy like Heyman. So that is a good pickup for them. We saw Desmond McKinney 
He was playing last season at North Dakota State, the old Bison, and he has decided that he is going to be heading on over to Bellarmine. Last season, he really just had to miss the entirety of the season due to a medical redshirt season before that. Shot about 38.5% from three, three points per contest with Bellarmine. This is a team known for making some shrewd moves for McKinney. There's never really been too much of a facilitator and for Bellarmine. What I do think that they need to find is that one trigger man that is able to give them a ton of facilitation when they had Dylan Penn a few years ago. It allowed them to be able to ascend when that at Atlantic Sun Tournament. They have yet to be able to find that, so we shall see if they are able to get that missing cog, and this might be the missing cog for James Madison as TJ Bickerstaff. He was playing this last season over at Boston College. He has decided that he is going to be heading on over to James Madison began his career at Drexel in this last year, was playing at Boston College, and had a nice two-year run at Boston College. He was a starter for the team, 5.8 points, 6 half boards. Now, the team, Boston College, was not very good the last two seasons, but Pickerstaff, I mean, given that he transferred in from Drexel, he was able to have some relatively solid results. Him going down to James Madison should be very impactful for them, so we shall see their prospects. This one came down just before I posted this up as well. Keontae Johnson, he has decided that he is going to be entering in for the NBA draft, a man that very much gambled on himself last season by playing in like 10-plus games. He passed on a insurance policy that would have paid out millions because he had that just very, very unfortunate situation where he collapsed on the floor while he was over at Florida many years ago, but he was massive for Kansas State this last season, 17.5 points, 6.8 boards, shot 40% from three as a six foot five, a little bit of a combo player. He is going to be maintaining his eligibility, so we do need to see what is going to be happening on this front. I personally think that Johnson should go to the NBA. That's just me personally, but we are going to be paying attention to that because that is going to be one of the most impactful NBA draft decisions that we are seeing. And we've got a pair of guys from Utah State that are going to be following Ryan Odom as well. This is something that we're seeing more of, and it is something that I'm going to be talking about with Lucas Harkins in the next segment as well. These players that they're at a previous stop, coach leaves, and they decide to follow the coach. As we're seeing Max Shoga along with Sean Barisau both decide that they are going to be transferring to VCU. Both of these guys were able to be nice contributors for the team last season with Shoga. 12 points, 4 assists, 4.5 rebounds per contest, shot 36.5% from 3-point range. Barisau shot 38.5% from 3-point range, 10.5 points, 5 boards, 2.5 assists per game. It's very apparent that it is going to be a very new dawn, a new day for VCU. They lost so many of the guys that Mike Rhodes had as Mike Rhodes went to Penn State, and I know quite a few of his guys have followed him, so it's going to be looking a lot like Utah State in the Atlantic 10 this season for them, but I do think that it is going to be a relatively solid roster. We have seen Mr. Odom do a solid job taking over a program, getting them to be able to ascend. We shall see if he's able to do that with VCU this upcoming season, but a man that is always ascending with his bracketology, a man that has his finger on the pulse of taking a look at all things college basketball, and I know that he's got his thoughts on a lot of what we've been seeing as well. That'd be Lucas Harkins. He's joining me next to take a look at what we've all been getting this offseason, some of his thoughts on these players that I was just alluding to moving over with their respective coach, and we're going to be talking a lot of Big East next with our good friend Lucas right here. I'm Chris Kosicki, myself, Craig Peterson, now a part of the Houston Family Podcast. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. 
Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah Yeah Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah Yeah Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. 
Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Welcome to Las Vegas for Just Guessings with myself, Craig Gibbs Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and great to be joined by this man, as you may have known this man from what he did about a month or so ago, as he had one of the best bracketologies that we saw in the country last year. This guy, year in and year out, when you take a look at the bracket matrix, he is always towards the top of it, because he does an amazing job following this sport all 12 months out of the year, as it is Lucas Harkins, and it is always good, by the way, to get on a Milwaukee Bucks fan. We need a nice game for win out of them. But that said, with Lucas, he does an incredible job over at HXCBB doing bracketology, doing a lot of written work. I know that he has been very locked in with everything that we've been seeing in the offseason. And for those of you guys that are fans of the Butler Bulldogs, he's got a Patreon page for them as well as he does a great job of following that university up close and in person. And you're able to follow Lucas on Twitter at Hardwired Sports. All together, Lucas, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Lucas. And how about if we start with something that I just talked about, the fact that you do a very nice job of taking a look at Butler. And I'm sure we're going to get into the Big East in a few minutes, but it's been a very eventful offseason for them. And I feel like Butler has been sort of buried a little bit with all the moves that we've seen, like Akeem Hart heading over to Villanova, all the hoopla around UConn because they just won the national title a few weeks ago. But what have you all seen from Butler in this offseason? Because for Butler, they made a lot of splash moves last offseason with hiring Thad Mata. They did a good job of the transfer portal. Just didn't necessarily come to fruition in year number two, in year number one. So I do feel like that puts a little bit of pressure on Mata here in year number two. Yeah, I think you're right on. I think they went into an offseason with a lot of question marks for next year. And I think there's more question marks, but different question marks now. Uh, a lot of roster turnover this offseason. Several guys entered the transfer portal. Chuck Harris, Seamus Lukosius, Jaden Taylor are all gone. Manny Bates is likely to be going to pro route. Eric Hunter Jr. graduated. That's all five starters, essentially. There's going to be a big switch up in terms of the roster next year. Jalen Thomas, John Michael Malloy, Connor Turnbull, and DJ Hughes are the only four returners as it stands right now. A lot of new transfers in. I really like Landon Moore. Comes in from St. Francis, Pennsylvania. I think he's going to be a very good player. Three years of eligibility. Can really shoot it. Garrett Brooks, kind of an unproven former four-star. Played at Michigan State the last couple years. Jamil Telford is probably the most proven scorer of the group. He's going to need to play a big role. Andre Screen comes in. And Butler still has two scholarships available. To say this roster has a lot of changes to undergo would be an understatement. And to say the changes are done would also be an understatement. I think this offseason is really just getting started still. But I think it was a good thing for all parts. I think Butler needed a refresh. Um, and I think every Butler fan will miss all those guys who entered the transfer portal the best at their next stop. So that Jaden Taylor at NC State, Chuck Harris at SMU, everyone's going to be rooting for them to succeed. But also Butler kind of needed a, a full restart. Yep, I am in total agreement with you. And what do you think was the biggest thing that just didn't work out for your number one in Butler? Because they did make a lot of moves that I liked. Like you were mentioning Manny Bates. I thought that he was one of the best low post players in the transfer portal last offseason. Bringing back Simi's Lucatius is something that I do like. Personally, I was attributing it a little bit to health, like Ali Ali and a few others could not get out there on the floor to begin the season. Would you say that that was a big reason why Butler did have a little bit of a lack of success in your number one armada? Yeah, I think that's a contributing factor. For me, continuity was the big one, um, which obviously went, came into play with injuries as well. They were at their best through the first month and a half of the season when they knew who was out all the time. And it was the same eight guys who played every game. Once they brought back, Ali Ali was healthy. Jalen Thomas was healthy. It's not like adding talent hurt Butler, but like 
there's less continuity in the rotation. There are more guys who got hurt and things were kind of shuffled around throughout the last two months that they can never really get together that kind of consistency. Not having that consistency makes it hard to overcome the already present weaknesses. It's one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the country, a poor shooting team at that. So it wasn't like there was much coming on the offensive end. So they needed to have that continuity that they didn't have to overcome that. Yeah, but there was certainly a lot of question marks going into last season with Butler with a lot of moving parts. And we shall see how that's going to be going in year number two as looks like there are not done in the transfer portal. And as our good friend Lucas Harkins, who does great work at Heat Check CBB, is joining me on the podcast, was alluding to. There has been quite a few moves in the offseason, but out of all the teams in the Big East, I feel like the best offseason thus far, it goes to Creighton. Now, Villanova bringing in a key mark, that's big. And if Hunter Dickinson decides to go to Villanova, this is going to be changing a little bit. But I take a look at Creighton bringing in two guys, Isaac Tradot. He was over at Virginia last season, a former top one recruit, really couldn't get out there on the floor. But Creighton, I think their biggest issue was needing a little bit more depth. I think that he should be able to provide that. But what Creighton has done a very good job of here in the last few off seasons is bringing in that one impact guy by the transfer portal. I feel like they got it. And then summon Steve Ashworth, because as we know, they lose Ryan Nemard via the transfer portal. But they bring in Ashworth to be able to replace him. And I thought that this was a home run signing from Creighton. I'm not sure what your thoughts are in terms of how the Big East has done in the portal and just Creighton as a whole, but I was very impressed by the move that Creighton did. And I feel like Creighton has really mastered the portal in that they're not making like a hundred million billion moves or anything like that, but they're making a few select very good moves. Yeah, it's similar to last year. I mean, they needed to fill one big spot and they got Baylor Shryman, and I think that they probably weren't going to have that big spot to fill for most of this offseason until Nemhart left. And when they did, I mean, it's hard to find a better fit for Creighton's system than Steven Ashworth on paper. Elite off-the-dribble shooter, does an incredibly good job pulling up from deep off high pick and rolls, a good distributor. I think he's going to be a really great fit for them. They're going to be hard to find a more cohesive unit in that regard. In terms of Creighton's ability to just shoot across the board and be just another rock-solid team in the Big East, they've been consistently underrated, I think, in the this iteration of the new Big East for several years. And I think we're starting to see this past season and probably the next couple seasons to come, just how good they can really be. I think that Creighton has a chance to be able to ascend as well. I think that they did a great job of handling the loss of Ryan Nemhard. We shall see if anyone enters into the NBA draft from Creighton. But as of right now, things are looking solid. As I know that Trey Alexander has his name in, I'd be a little bit surprised if he stays in the NBA draft, but no doubt that is something to keep our eye on. And, I know you do a great job of being able to gauge really the entirety of the Big East and the team in the Big East has made the most sheer moves as of right now for obvious reasons. That'd be St. John's because St. John's, they can Mike Anderson. They bring in slick Rick Pitino and Rick Pitino has brought in pretty much the smorgasbord of guys from Iona. They're looking to build around Joel Soriano. How do you gauge St. John's right now and the roster that they have assembled? Because we've seen quite a few coaches try this where they bring over a lot of their guys that they were playing for them the season before at a different school like Dennis Gates when he took the job at Missouri brought in a lot of guys from Cleveland State we saw McMahon do that when he went from Murray State to LSU for in my opinion I think that's worked out quite well for a lot of coaches but at the same time I do think that they step up from the Metro Atlantic to the Big East it's going to be a tough one for a lot of these players. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what to make of St. John's. I think that when it comes down to it, it's Rick Pitino, who's been successful pretty much everywhere he's coached ever. And I think if he wants to do an overhaul of the roster and bring in new guys, then who am I to doubt that? I I have no doubt that within the next year or two or so, they're going to be right back where St. John's wants to be and contending for NCAA tournament bids. I don't know 
necessarily how I feel about the roster quality as of right now for next season. But again, it's Rick Pitino. I'm not going to doubt it. Yeah, Rick Pitino is earned the benefit of the doubt from so many others. But does Kim English warrant the benefit of the doubt as well? Because as we know, Providence, they're going through a lot as well. When you lose a coach like Ed Cooley, I just don't think that there's any true proper replacement for him with King English. I do think that he's a good up-and-coming coach, but he's sort of trying to do the same thing that Rick Pitino is because we've noticed a lot of George Mason players, they are making the leap over to Providence, and I think that King English is making the most out of the situation, but I do think that there are some question marks with Providence, so I think the good news for them is that they didn't lose everyone like many of us were expecting when Ed Cooley did decide that he was going to take the job at Georgetown. Yeah, I think that he's done a pretty good job. Obviously, roster retainment, big part of that. I like the three guys he's got coming in from George Mason. He did a really good job, I think, getting Duval back as a previous commitment to Providence. Originally, he was from where I am, moved out west this past year. But I think he's a really good four-star recruit who'll come in. I think he's one heck of a defender that'll fit really, really well in English's first couple of years at Providence. I totally agree with you. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Lucas Harkins, who does great work over at CBB, And I did allude to something a little bit earlier as well, because with Providence, they are going to be retaining some of the players that were so integral for them last season. How much do you take a look at roster camaraderie, continuity in general for the upcoming season? Because I know that everyone is making a big deal out of these transfers, and very rightfully so. Like Creighton being able to get Steve Ashworth, that's a big deal. What West Virginia was able to do this offseason, that's a big deal. But what I like about West Virginia as well is that while they picked up a whole bunch of guys via the transfer portal, they really haven't lost any of those key pieces. Like a Trey Mitchell is going to be coming back from last season. I think that that's very important as well. Not necessarily the teams that are in the news because of them picking up transfers, but the teams are out of the news because they're not losing any transfers. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think when it comes to evaluating the teams that do the best in the transfer portal, I think it's easy to point right to the teams that added the most talent in the portal in an offseason. But really, I mean, if you look back at this past season in terms of like teams that I think did the best job in the offseason, Creighton getting Baylor Shireman was huge. And I think it's kind of finding the teams that I think are the biggest winners are really the ones that enter the portal with one or two key needs and fill those and otherwise bring the rest of it back. So I think that roster continuity, I think, is still huge if you're able to create that and what is a difficult environment to do so is a plus, although it's a challenge. But I think that's a plus, and especially if you can fill out those one or two gaps with high-level transfers, that can be a big win for a program. I think so as well. And I do take a look at just what we have been getting this offseason with a lot of these moves, and it has been very intriguing. And I was alluding to what we were getting with Gabe English, him taking over Providence. But on the flip side, we did have Ed Cooley go over to Georgetown, as we both know. It's been a rough go of it for Georgetown. And I just want to get your thoughts as to what realistic expectations should be for Georgetown, because I do think that they made one of the best hires this offseason. Ed Cooley, I think that there's no debating. He's one of the better coaches in all of college basketball. What he was able to do at Providence, nothing short of remarkable. But this is a Georgetown team that, while they've got absolutely tremendous pedigree, they have been a rough program for a long time. I recognize the NCAA tournament appearance that they made a few seasons ago, but it has been a slim, slim win totals for them in recent years. What do you think should be realistic expectations for Georgetown? Because I really look at you, year two and beyond as being sort of the time that we should be starting to grade out how Ed Cooley is doing over at Georgetown. Yeah, I agree. It's more of a year two or three evaluation. It's really an interesting debate with Georgetown in that like Ed Cooley has 
the benefit of the doubt for what he did at Providence, but also Georgetown has like the opposite of that for having had talent but struggled as a program the last few years. I think this year's probably one that they'll be predicted in the bottom half of the Big East, but I don't know if they'll be in the cellar necessarily. In preseason predictions, there's still a long way to go in terms of rosters getting filled out across the conference, but we'll see. And I think that the most important thing for Georgetown is they're starting at a spot that they have basically nowhere to go but up and got a higher in Ed Cooley who will take them up. Absolutely, and I do think that Ed Cooley is going to be able to build up that Georgetown program. I just think it might take a year or two for him. And I want to get your thoughts on one other thing as well, Lucas, because it's something that I've been talking about on this podcast quite a bit this offseason, because this year in the transfer portal, we do have a few marquee guys, and one of them is still remaining, and Hunter Dickinson, no question. Whoever gets Hunter Dickinson, that is going to be turning around their fortunes. But I feel like this offseason has seen more of these former four-slash-five-star guys that haven't panned out than ever before, like Yohan Traore, fact that he is transferring to UC Santa Barbara, I think that that is so intriguing. You had someone like a Khalil Ware, who was a top 10 recruit last season, just did not work out at Oregon. He went to Indiana. What have you made out of so many of these guys that were former four or five-star guys going into the transfer portal? Because I think this year in the transfer portal, it's the biggest boomer bust year for a lot of these guys than ever before, because I feel like there's a lot of unknowns for guys that they look good going into their freshman year of college didn't necessarily see a lot of playing time and trying to evaluate them properly, I think is going to be rather difficult just because there is a lot of hype around these guys. But at the same time, they just didn't have that proper fit the first time around. Yeah. From an intrigue standpoint for me, I think that those transfers really raise the intrigue for a lot of teams. You know, Auburn was already going to have a fair amount of excitement coming into next year. Now you see Santa Barbara has that excitement. Like an AJ Mitchell pairing with Trevor in the front court is really exciting to look forward to. I think if Villanova were to add a Hunter Dickinson, that changes the perception of how year two it could be for Kyle Neptune and Villanova. Those guys weren't going to be seen with a ton of expectations in year two at their respective schools in the first place. But moving them into a bigger spot, a change of scenery can be really helpful for those types of players. And I'm looking forward to them being able to reach their potential at a new spot. If it didn't happen somewhere else, I think the Those are the types of guys that can really explode in a different situation. That's always really good to see success as a player. Yep, you do want to see all these guys find a proper landing spot, be able to get the minutes that they want. Now, not everyone is going to be able to play 35 minutes a game and put up 35-plus points per contest, but at the same time, you want to see as much success for as many players as humanly possible. And a man that has been successful with all the work that he does, that'd be you, Lucas. You do amazing work over there at HXCBB. Your bracketology, once again, this year was second to none. You do an absolutely incredible job on that front end. I know you've been doing great work taking a look at all the news and notes this offseason. So, well, the good people at home, now it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Well, don't worry. It's going to be a busy offseason. Plenty of coverage here. I write national stuff for Heat Check College Basketball. And then I run a Butler Patreon as well. You can find me on Twitter at Hardware at Sports. And there will be plenty of written content throughout the offseason. And Lucas is one of the best in the business at being able to take a look at the landscape of college basketball. And he, much like myself, hoping that the Milwaukee Bucks can be able to get past the Milwaukee. Yes, can get past the Miami Heat this week. So that would be nice for us. But what was nice and what is always a W is getting on our good friend Lucas on this podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast Coast Soups, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And if you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. 
First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I'm coming at you guys every single day, all 365 this year with this podcast. Hopefully, we'll be able to have enough answers in the transfer portal in about a month or so to start up some conference previews, but I'll have you covered every step of the way this college basketball offseason, and I'll be back with you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today.